Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here. Glad to have you here to learn the skills we should have learned in school, the persuasion, motivation, influence, and today, negotiation. And we have a special guest, so get out your notes. Today, we have Dr. John Lowry, who is a recognized authority on negotiation through his experience as a lawyer, business consultant, entrepreneur, negotiation coach, and university administrator. His results-focused systematic approach to negotiation has been successfully implemented by thousands of professionals across the United States. Dr. Lowry teaches negotiation at top Rank Strauss Institute for Dispute Revolution at Pepperdine University School of Law and Vanderbilt University's Master's in Management and Healthcare Program. John, welcome to the podcast. Kurt, I'm thrilled to be here. This is going to be fun. Thanks for having me. Oh, good to have you. I mean, negotiation such a hot topic right now. The persuasion, the influence is important. But then sometimes when you have two persuaders in the same room, we need to negotiate, obviously. But sure. let's start off with the question of the day. Tell us your favorite joke or embarrassing moment. Well, I'll tell you a story that was an embarrassing moment, but kind of fun. I took my son when he was about 10 years old to an event with legendary race car driver, Daryl Waltrip. If you know uh, Daryl Waltrip, Fox News commentator, and it was the opening of a bank. And so we got this picture made with Daryl Waltrip. And uh, as we were getting the picture made, uh, there were all sorts of phones that were being transferred as it relates to people taking pictures. And so I got my phone back. But somehow I got another phone back and uh, I went home and that evening and I was putting my kids to bed and it was about eight o'clock at night. I'm literally in like just shorts and a t-shirt. All of us are kind of getting ready for bed with young kids. And I'm reading my daughter a story and my wife comes in her room and says, John, you've got to come now. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, well, she goes, Daryl Waltrip is in our house. And I said, What? Like Daryl Waltrip, like the guy I just saw. And she goes, yeah, like he's here. And she's like, you got to come talk to him. I said, all right, well. So I ran out and sure enough, there is Daryl Waltrip standing in my entryway by my front door. And I said, DW, what's up? And he said, I think you have my phone. And I was like, your phone? How would I have your phone? And so we're looking all through my house with Daryl Waltrip, the CEO of the bank that had the event. And then there's like three or four guys outside that I don't know. And we are desperately trying to find this phone and I have no idea where it is. And so we look, we look, we look. Finally, after about 15 minutes of awkward conversation and frustration of not being able to find his phone. I went out to my car and in my suit coat pocket, there was an extra phone, which happened to be Daryl Waltrip's phone. So he had tracked it to my house. We knew that it was in my house. We just didn't know where. 
we joke about this every time we're together. I asked him, I said, what were the three or four guys for outside? And he said, well, we didn't know exactly where we were going to retrieve my phone. <laughs> and so it was a funny, embarrassing moment that uh, has come and passed, but got to be careful of bringing home a celebrity's phone because they might end up in your house looking for it. Especially have the uh, muscle outside thinking, all right, you, yeah, you don't know you have our phone. <laughs> it was an accident. <laughs> yeah. Uh <-huh. laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's, that, that's my embarrassing story. Love it. That's a fun story. <laughs> John, I love what you said uh, that the truth is your relationships, your accomplishments, your income. And I agree with this hundred percent all depend on how well you negotiate. Yeah. And you also mentioned that less than 10% of professionals have received any formal training on negotiation skills. What's going on? Why aren't people learning these skills? Yeah, that's interesting. So I define negotiation as a strategic communication process to get a deal or to solve a problem. And in my training that I do across the world uh, with professionals, I will ask them, what percentage of your professional time do you spend engaged in that process? And hands will go up and people will say, 60%, 80%, 100%, but it's always somewhere between 70 and 90% of professionals, especially managers or any sort of business owners or salespeople, they're spending well over half their time engaged in the negotiation process. And if you think about every email, every phone call, every meeting, like it's a strategic communication process to get a dealer to solve a problem. And then I ask him that question of how many of you have you know, ever taken a course or ever gone to a continuing education program around negotiation? And usually it's about less than 10% of them that have ever really learned how to do the process that will cause them to be successful or not in their career. And so most of us have just learned it kind of on the job. Most of us have learned it through trial and error. And then I love asking the question. I get, I say, who gets to pay for the errors? And they're like, well, my company does. I was like, well, that's a costly way to learn uh, in terms of giving value away and all of that kind of stuff. And so what I think has happened is because it's so prevalent and because it isn't seen as kind of a specialized skill, even the academics have missed the recognition that it is something that people need training on and an understanding of how to do. As a result of that, you have a lot of people out there that find their way, but it often takes time and it often requires them to lose a lot before they can learn how to win. Yeah, that is so true. And I had a room full of professional negotiators. I mean, estimate how much money have you lost with the bad negotiation, not having the right skills. And it was always in the millions of dollars. And it's interesting you point out that who's paying for this. Obviously, entrepreneurs, you're paying it for yourself. Corporate, the company's paying for it. Really? You didn't teach me this basic fundamental <laughs> skill? I mean, really? Come it's on. ironic, isn't like it? Like you mentioned, 50 to 80 and 100% of the day. And that you're, it's a side note in most college courses. And so I'm with you on that 100%. So as you look at negotiation, you have a lot of experience here. Let's, before we go into the what to do, what do you see as the biggest blunder mistake people are making just right out of the chute when they get to a negotiation? What do you see? Is there one that's blaring at you? Is there a couple of them? Let's start with the mistakes. The mistakes, yeah. I mean, I think overall, if you're looking at kind of big picture, the, the biggest mistake that people make is they don't spend enough 
time up front planning for the process. Uh, they miss the process. And so they're so focused on the substance and trying to nail what they want to achieve and all of that, that they lose sight of the fact that it's the process that actually makes a difference. So the way I define it for people, as I say, substance is what is the right answer? That's the question around substance. And that's where a lot of people spend most of their time. The process question is, how do I get the other side to the right answer? And that question doesn't get as much attention or as much strategic thinking or as much teamwork or whatever the case might be. And yet the irony of it is, if you're not very good at getting other people to the right answer, then whatever that answer is will not become the right answer. Uh, you'll have to change the substance or make concessions on the substance if you don't have a process that can deliver it. Now, the most acute moment where I see people make mistakes is in the opening offer. And what happens is the opening offer is a challenging moment in a negotiation because it is the most influential move in the entire process. And so you want to get it right. And so many people, they go in with a let's see what happens approach or let's just start here and go from there based upon what the other side. They go in with some approach like that to where they haven't really thought it through. And then literally after the first round, they can find themselves playing from behind and in some cases can't catch up. And so what happens is this opening offer moment, the reason it's so difficult is because of the psychology around it and what happens inside each one of us as a negotiator. Because we have to strike this balance by saying, well, we want to be ambitious. We want to position ourselves to get the best deal that we can. We, we want to ask for as much as we can, but then we get nervous about, well, what are they going to think about that? Well, if I'm, I'm too far, I may lose the deal or they may just go with a competitor or I may not you know, get the next call or we may get eliminated. And so people actually start making concessions long before they ever actually get to the negotiation table. And it's in those concessions that some people go too far with it to where by the time they get to the opening offer, they've already made so many concessions that they have no chance of getting a good deal because they didn't start out ambitious enough. And the way to deal with it is to develop your skill set to where you know how to back off of an offer that's too ambitious. Uh, and because you have the skills and the confidence to be able to handle that moment, you're more likely to be ambitious with the opening number. And there's a lot of research that suggests that that being more ambitious with the opening number will help you deliver a better outcome. I love what you said. Let's just see what happens. They're not prepared. They're not ready to roll. And we know that you're going to pay with either your time upfront preparing or your lost money in the back end. So let's talk about when you're presenting that opening first offer, how do you skillfully do that? So great question. Um, really a strategy to deliver an opening offer is three questions, who, where, and how that's all you got to do is you got to answer those three questions. Who is all about, do you want to put the first number on the table or do you want to let the other side put the first number on the table? If you decide that you want to put the first number on the table, what you will get for that is influence. If you let the other side put the first number on the table, what you will get with that is information. And so all you got to do to answer that first question of who is decide what's more important to you, the influence or the information. 
And I would argue that in many cases, the influence is more important, but not always. But in many cases, the influence is the thing to grab in that moment. And then two is where. And where you've got to decide, I've, I've kind of created a continuum uh, where in the middle of the continuum is where the agreement is going to happen. It's the agreement zone. And then just outside of the agreement zone is what I call the credible zone. And that's the place where you can start where both sides aren't in a place to be able to say yes to those offers, but it will start the dance. Uh, it will start the negotiation process to where we're going back and forth trying to make this deal happen. And then outside of the credible zone is the insult zone. And that's where uh, that may not get a process started, or maybe we're sending a message. The insult zone usually is a, a difficult place to create progress from. And so the question is where? Uh, where do you want to start this negotiation? If you don't have a lot of time, you may have to start closer to the agreement zone. Uh, if you really need the deal and you've got lots of great options, and you're looking to maximize what you can get, then that may be a moment where you want to start further in the credible zone, maybe even towards the insult zone in terms of being super ambitious as far as your opening offer. And so every one of these questions, it's situationally dependent to where you've got to decide what is the best place for this deal. There's no perfect right answer, but you do want to strategically give yourself enough room to move to where you can still get a great deal as you're making concessions, but at the same time as you're making concessions, you're making the other side feel like they're getting a good deal too. And kind of the ideal place to work this all out is in terms of starting ambitiously, giving yourself room to move, being able to make concessions, and then get to a place to where that's actually a good deal for you even though you've made some pretty substantial concessions to get there, which gives the other side a perceived sense of victory as well. And then the last question of how uh, really comes down to two different strategies. If you're going to start in the credible zone and you're going to be more ambitious with that opening move, then I describe the approach as extreme but soft. You don't want to be extreme but firm because you won't give – any hope to the other side that there's a deal. Uh, if, if you're being really ambitious and you tell the other side you don't have any room to negotiate, then they may say, well, I got to go somewhere else then. And you may end up killing the process. Um, and so it's soft to where you can move off it. You can make those concessions that I just described. If you have to start in the agreement zone where you have less room to move, there's where you want to be reasonable but firm. And the trick to this is the firmness has to go before the number. You've got to let the other side know how you're negotiating. You've got to let them know that this is a number that they should seriously consider, that you're not planning for a long back and forth process where each side's making big concessions. You're literally putting a number that they should consider saying yes to. And if you need to tweak it a little bit, you can, but there's not going to be major concessions. And setting those expectations up front, that's what makes reasonable and firm most effective. So who, where, and how, if you answer those questions right, you're probably going to be on your way to making a really strategic opening offer.
Max Myers says, hopefully you caught that. The who, where, and how great introduction. You can make the first offer. I love John when he said, it's time to start the dance. That's important to understand. And when you get your first no, all right, let the games begin. That whole mindset, let's do this. This is a process, the back and forth. You maintain more control when you start the dance. You start the process. You can make the first offer. So let's talk about these tactics. Let's say you're getting to the negotiation and the person across from the table is using some of those, what I call the dirty deeds, those tricks, the psychological tactics. Maybe the scientific term is just being a butt. <laughs> what, <laughs> what do we do here? Because people are that way. Professional negotiators, buyers, purchasers, sometimes they're just not the nicest people. What do we do in that situation where we feel like they're just trying to use those dirty tricks? What are your thoughts on that? So tactics are something that people use to try to get an advantage in the process. Mm -hmm. And tactics vary. So some tactics are very personal. Some tactics are psychological. Uh, some tactics are circumstantial. I mean, there's all different ways that people use tactics. And the reason they use them is because they think that they are providing some sort of advantage in this process. And so one of the things that has to happen with tactics is you have to manage the tactic many times before you want to proceed through the process because you don't want that tactic to cloud what happens in the negotiation, especially if it's something that is not to your advantage. And so one of the things that everyone has the power to do is to shut the process down. By doing so, not only do you take great control, but that then gives you the space to go deal with the tactic. Now, to deal with the tactic, it's another very easy kind of three-step approach. Uh, the first step of that would be to identify the tactic. I think the biggest challenge people have with tactics is they actually don't even know that they're being employed. And so they're reacting to these behaviors, but they don't see them as a tactic. They don't think there's anything they can do about them. And so they just get frustrated. And that's where you start hearing about, well, they're just being unreasonable. Well, maybe, but what they're actually doing is not being unreasonable. What they're actually doing is they're using a behavior because it thinks that it gets them an advantage. And so if you deal with that behavior, now, all of a sudden, you can get them to perhaps be reasonable again. And so the first thing is, is you've got to have your eyes wide open and you've got to be looking for these tactics. That's identifying the tactic. The next thing is to label it for the other side, to put it on the table, to have a conversation about the tactic. You know, if it's something, Kurt, to where we're negotiating and um, you're being the, uh, uh, the butt, as you call it, you know, <laughs> maybe a moment to say, hey, Kurt, look, uh, look, we're, we're trying to put a deal here together. It seems like you're getting really frustrated. How can we do this in a way that where you won't be as frustrated? Like, is there a process that we can use? Is there a time that we can meet? Is there like, I don't want to frustrate you with this. That's not what this is about. We're just trying to make a deal happen. But it seems like you're really frustrated. And now notice, I just put that on the table to be negotiated. So if you are really frustrated, then we may have some difficult things to work through. If you're using it as a tactic, now you're in a situation to where you've got to make a strategic decision to say, okay, do I want to keep being a butt or do I want to try to get this deal done? And if I want to try to get this deal done, I probably need to knock it off and continue the process. 
Or if I want to continue to be a butt, John's probably going to check out. Mm -hmm. And that's the moment that you want to create to where the other person who's using the tactic has to make the strategic decision about whether they want to continue with it or if they want to get back to the process. And then once you've done that, then it becomes a negotiation of the process before you go back to negotiating the substance. And so in our example, it's like, hey, Kurt, you know, if you need a couple of days just to chill out, like, that's no problem. Like, let's talk again at the end of the week. Hopefully, you know, we'll all be in a better mindset and hopefully can put this deal together. So notice there, I'm negotiating the process and it's important to get the process right because the process is going to lead to the outcome. And again, by doing that, you're taking control and you're letting them know, I'm not going to move forward with this process, with this behavior coming from you, but I'm open to move forward with it if the behavior ends. And that, I think, that three-step process right there, it takes care of about 80 to 90% of the tactics out there. There are some things that people just will continue to do and they won't stop. And there are other ways that you kind of need to deal with it. But that takes care of 80 to 90% of them right there. It would take care of it. You guys use a good cop, bad cop. Like, really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, it's calling it out. Exactly. Calling right. it out, labeling yeah. it. Uh, John, what's the one thing uh, we've missed here today? What's the one thing you want our listeners to know about negotiation? I think a relatively new concept to the negotiation conversation is empathy. Uh, Empathy is really big in business right now. I'm sure you're having conversations about it on this podcast, Uh, but it's becoming a really important, recognized business skill. And I think empathy is a really important negotiation skill as well, even though it hasn't been associated with negotiation as closely. And the reason that empathy is important is because empathy is a vehicle that we can use to identify, learn, understand, and then connect with what really drives people. And what's so amazing about business is even though we might be talking about money, even though we might be exchanging widgets and value and all this kind of stuff, um, the reality is, is that, you know, about 70% of business decisions are made based on emotion. It's not reason. It's not logic. It's not financial analysis. It's not Excel spreadsheets. It's not any of that. It is pure emotion. And that's why influence is so powerful in terms of what you spend your time talking about. Uh, influence deals with the subconscious and influence hits parts of people that, they may not even know are driving them in decision-making. And what I've observed is that the most sophisticated negotiators, instead of saying, well, this is just business and positioning these very personal things for people like their ego and their fears and their relationships and those types, their values, instead of saying that's irrelevant, What I find is that the most effective negotiators are actually playing into those things and they're finding creative ways to honor those things in people so that they can get them to more quickly say yes in terms of the substance. And so the way to do it is really easy. It's just asking questions. So instead of coming in seeking to persuade, it's actually coming into the negotiation seeking to understand. And then through that understanding, finding your moments where 
Perhaps you want to influence, perhaps you want to persuade, perhaps you want to problem solve, or perhaps you even want to brainstorm with the other side in terms of how to solve for their problem in a way that also solves for yours. And the business leaders that I see that are the most impactful are the people that understand that about their customers. They know that it's not about their external needs, it's about their internal needs. And the folks that understand that and play into that, they can do really, really well using the negotiation process, but then also really, really well out there in the business world. So John, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you do? Sure. Well, I've got a website, lowrygroup.net, L-O-W-R-Y group.net. And then my new book, which was released late last year, Negotiation Made Simple. Uh, You can find it in Barnes and Noble stores, uh, Amazon, wherever it is that you buy books, it will be there. And Negotiation Made Simple, going back to that idea of saying not many people have had a formal course on negotiation By reading this book and spending about three hours, I think that a lot of folks can get caught up in terms of having a baseline understanding of how this process works, knowing the strategic decisions that need to be made to manage it well, and then being in a position to generate a lot more success going forward as a result of being a master negotiator Thanks, John. That was some powerful information on negotiation. We all negotiate every day. Remember, you can find Maximize Your Influence on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeart, and YouTube under Maximize Your Influence. Tell your family and friends about the podcast. Go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com for this episode, the links, and to take your free Persuasion IQ assessment. Learn it, do it, become a better negotiator, influencer, become more charismatic, and go out and persuade with power.